0: to today's homeowner with Danny Lipford your partner in home improvement everyone has questions about their home we've got the answers and we have a few laughs along the way informative, entertaining and sometimes off the wall home improvement has never been this much fun Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour, today's homeowner radio. This hour, like every hour, we've got you a lot of information to share with you, including a placement of a thermostat. Is there a strategic way to place that in a home to get the most efficient use of your heating system? We're going to talk about that, as well as the pros and cons of tankless water heaters. Boy, what misinformation there is out there about tankless water heaters. We're going to go over a few of those things. If you're about to face that same decision on what whether to go with a tanked or tankless water heater will give you some things to think about there. Also, um, now's the time to start thinking about some of those uh, projects that you might be doing. So we'll uh, provide you a few tips on some of the ways to make the right decisions as you move forward with that. And of course, my co-host Joe Truini always has a great simple solution for us a little bit later in the hour. What are you going to have for us, Joe?
1: Well, Danny, this time of year after um, the holidays are over and would probably people probably spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I have a simple solution how to steam clean your microwave oven huh. very quickly, very easily and get it back to looking
0: like new. Boy, I've, I've opened up some uh, microwaves from before and kind of closed it real quick. Thought I know. Someone was jump out I at have, me.
1: Like, maybe I'm not that hungry. I'll just yeah, close Yeah, people this door just and- <laughs> don't
0: look in there very much. It's so easy to keep clean. And I know the simple solution you're talking about, and man, it works great. So if you're looking up in that microwave right now and a little bit scared to venture into there, Joe has a way <laughs> to make it a lot easier like so many of the simple solutions that we have. You know what we're here for? We're here to help you with any challenge that you may have as a homeowner and boy it never ends but that's okay it's uh, so gratifying to get things done around your home so we want to help you any way we can if you like to send emails well we like to get them send us one right now by going to todayshomeowner.com slash ask or pick up the phone 24 hours a day seven days a week and call the today's homeowner hotline 800- nine four six forty four twenty let's take a few of those calls that came in on this week on the today's homeowner hotline my question is i have some kitchen chairs with wire supports underneath the seat that support the chair when you're sitting in it but mine have gotten weak is there something i can do to reinforce these things to make the chair sit stronger again well, I tell you, just about all of those kind of chairs are a little bit different. There's some that were done one particular way, but so many of those handmade type chairs like that, they are putting that wire, of course, as you mentioned, um, as support under there. It really, uh, for for me, um, uh, Joe, I, you know, don't know what you think, but something like that, boy. First of all, you want to get it where you have it kind of clamped down, whether it's right. to a table or or um, sawhorses or whatever, and then you know you want to get, um you know some good um, pliers, some um, lot li- maybe some lineman pliers. Um, needle nose pliers, and the right type of wire. Uh, And I would recommend a coated wire because, you know, if you put a regular type of untreated wire under there, you might end up with some rust later on. And then it's just a matter of removing the old and putting the new back in, in the same pattern. In some cases, you may leave what's in place and just reinforce it with a few strands running back and forth, back and forth around there, and then you know, then terminate them the very best you can by twisting them together. But it's, uh, there's, there's no real um, science to it. It's just basically right. kind of reproducing what was already there.
1: Yeah. What I would do is turn the chair upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless mm-hmm. the top cushion is off already, and then I guess it doesn't matter. But usually you turn it upside down, you'll find it's that these, and he, he described it exactly right squiggly wires because it kind of goes back, right. and forth yeah. and back and forth. Um, and you'll find it's usually covered with a piece of fabric like burlap or something like that just to cover up the, the these springs and first thing i do is take that off expose the springs and take a look at them you may find that one end of some of them or all of them has become detached and that's the reason you're not getting any support because they're just not attached uh, as well as they should be if that's the case then you might be able to just reattach those because they don't usually break they do i guess they could eventually lose some of their spring especially if someone's standing on the chair but if all else fails re- remove them and you can actually buy replacements and they're called uh spring chair spring repair kit no kidding like yeah you can probably find that on amazon and and what you do is you fasten one end and pull it really tightly and fasten the other end and the only thing i'll I'll warn you about is once you tighten one end uh, fasten one end and you pull it tight just be careful you may have to clamp that first end because you don't want that popping off because that could snap and you know could hurt you so just be careful with that but other than that you know if there's if they're secure the old ones are secured but not supporting then you have to replace them
0: well, you know, I actually have a chair, an old, old chair, and it has wire, some pretty significant right. wire under it. It's in fair shape, but the actual seat is cowhide. And really? this, pro- this chair is probably 100 years old. Wow. And um, they built it in such a way. I guess everybody had some really good posture back then, because because uh, <laughs> it is a straight, straight back. And you know right. how we guys are—we want to lean back just a little yeah. bit. Well, you—it yeah. le- has very little tolerance before your head is slamming against the floor <laughs> on the backside of that thing, because yeah. it, it just—I mean—you have to be so careful. Someone—and I have them actually out in my workshop and with the little table out there. And if someone someone sits down, I always got to warn them, Say, "Don't lean back. Don't lean Don't le- back. Okay, That's okay. right. Boom." <laughs> I told <laughs> told you not to lean back. Now you're going to have to clean up my floor. So uh, that, that does that does happen. Hey, let's get another call in from the Today's Homeowner Hotline.
1: I have a shower that was installed about three and a half years ago. The shower was installed. I really don't know what the name of the product is, but it was a shower over a wood floor, and they put in kind of a mesh, orange mesh material that put in several layers in ceramic tile. My question is, now when we walk on the shower floor after a couple of years, it squeaks like a wood floor. So I get the feeling that there must be some movement there. I don't see any cracks in the tile, but I'm worried about in the future. So I just wonder what your opinion might be on that.
0: Well, Joe, um, boy, that makes me nervous. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you're walking across a ceramic floor, you need to have good, solid footing. Nothing should be moving. Nothing should be making any sounds. And I would say he probably has a, A shower pan redo in his future, but do you think that uh, orange mesh that he's talking about, could that possibly be a a Schluter product or something?
1: Probably if it's orange. It doesn't sound like an uncoupling membrane because that's more plastic, and he said they Uh put down several layers, so it might just be a waterproofing mesh that they put down, and maybe there's some kind of glue or, or rubber membrane, liquid rubber or cement of some sort in between adhesive, in between these layers. But either way, the fact that it's squeaking obviously means there's some give in the floor and that the tiles mm-hmm. or the grout joints probably have not cracked is really a yet. miracle. I'm not sure yet. yet. I'm not yet. sure how that's even possible because the you know any tile floor shouldn't be, as Danny said, rock solid. Any give mm-hmm. in the floor is going to definitely pop those tiles, crack the tiles or crack the grout um so okay that's fine what do you do about it at this point i mean unless that floor is exposed below this is the first floor of a house let's say and he has a basement below he can get up under there and maybe reinforce that um, plywood or wood subfloor whatever it is um you know and add some structure in there just to keep that from bouncing and, and moving that's what i would do first if it's not exposed and you can't get to it and I don't know. I mean, if this is not cracked and not leaking, I wouldn't do anything at this point.
0: I yeah, know. Maybe I, I would pretty much stay with what it is and monitor it closely. But, you know, what may have caused this um, is that the water slight, slight leak around the drain that could be affecting the wood, the wood subfloor underneath, or, uh, you know, it could be a leak anywhere around there. Um, so again, if you have access underneath, it would be good to pay close attention to what's happening underneath there. Uh, but I would imagine, uh, sooner or later, you're going to start seeing some tiles coming loose and, uh, you know, something like this, Joe, if it's on a downstairs and it has crawl space under it, right. Many times leaks can go on for years before you know it because, you know, it's not uh, showing up anywhere. And it's not one of those things that most people that I know don't spend a lot of time under their house like that. (laughs) Um, If it's a basement,
1: uh, you might see it because you probably Uh, go into it. You're right. But a crawl space. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I would uh, I would monitor that very, very closely. Hey, we appreciate all of those calls. We have more that we're going to get to later in the show, but we would encourage you to give us a call anytime. Leave your message, leave your a question or comment or any tip that you may have for us, and it's as simple as calling 800-946-4420 anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lipford along with my buddy Joe Truini. We'll be right back.
1: today's homeowner radio here are danny and joe
0: we are so proud of all of our wonderful radio stations all across the country over 350 stations that air the today's homeowner radio show each and every week wow we really appreciate that, especially one like WRWHAM1350 in Cleveland, Georgia. Hey, we want to hear from you there in and around the Cleveland, Georgia area. All you have to do, pick up the phone, 800-946-4420, or send us an email at com slash ass. That's exactly what Bob did in Virginia. Bob says, does the placement of a thermostat make a difference? Oh, Most yes. homes Oh, yes. Most of them have them on the first floor. That's the case of my three-story townhome. Wow. My problem, the temperature differences between the main floor and the third floor could easily be 10 degrees or more. Shouldn't the thermostat be located on the middle floor, resulting in a more balanced temperature on all three levels? If so, is it easy or worth it to try to move the thermostat to the second floor any other solutions? Well, you know, this is something in, in, in spotty areas of the country that, um, that, that, that happened, that people would just put the um, heating system in a hallway downstairs, the thermostat right next to it, which is somewhat of a traditional thing that you're trying, because wherever your unit is located, usually your return air is close by. Air is coming into your return air. That's a good area or region of the home to get a nice sampling of um, temperature to control your thermostat. Not always the best situation especially if you have multi stories like this now it's hard to answer this one because there's so many factors involved in involved in it in being able to control the uh, temperature I would at you know initial glance here say that the middle floor would be much better than downstairs or upstairs because it does give a more balanced approach but you really need a pro on this one you need to get someone that is really well versed in residential heating and cooling scenarios and have them come out and give you their opinion. They'll talk maybe a little bit about zoning. And there are ways that you can put inline motorized dampers in your system to control it a little bit. That can be fairly simple. It can get way overboard sometimes. But you may look at some of those considerations. An additional thermostat. There's a lot of different um, situations to consider on that one. But, Joe, that's just, to me, sure seemed like just fundamentally a bad design. Right.
1: Yeah, maybe this is a really old townhome, but you almost always have one zone on each floor, meaning a thermostat on each floor so you can control them independently. They do make uh, Wi-Fi smart thermostats that have remote sensors that you can put on, on each floor that will sense the temperature and adjust the heat as as needed. But I don't know what other option he has other than to have someone come in and, and put in two more zones. And typically in a two story or in this case a three story house you always want the upper floors to be slightly cooler than the lower floor like the the first floor would be the warmest whatever setting mm-hmm. it is would be the warmest mm-hmm. setting and we get cooler as you go up and that's of course because heat rises you wouldn't do the opposite um this way you could save a little energy because the upper floor is 3 or 4 degrees cooler but through convection, you know, it'll probably warm up, it would balance out, and you'd have the same temperature throughout the house.
0: Well, you know, there's a number of different systems that are available out there. Like I say, you can get a little overboard, but it reminds me of a, um, a, a project I did a few years ago on the Rachel Ray Show. And right. what they had there is they had um, a couple, they had a family, and the lady was extremely hot-natured, and the rest of the family was um, basically freezing to death. Uh, in the house. Okay. So um, we worked with a company to come in and they actually created this is a little overboard, but they actually created a thermostat for each person in the home. That they carried with them. What? And they could have it on their belt. They could have it wherever. And wherever they were in their particular rooms, you couldn't, you know, have more than one working in one room. (laughs) But uh, in their room, instead of being frozen, they are able to adjust their own thermostat. um, And it actually would sense it when they came into that room. And it would adjust that room to them. Now, when they were all together, and of course, it was, you know, television, you got to have a little fun with it. We, right. um, in the main room, when she was there in that room, in her tank top, everybody else, everybody <laughs> else was wearing parkas. <laughs> and then as, as kind of a joke, we found these heated seats, these heated right. seats, like some people used to put in the cars, you know. Right, and uh, right. so we, we handed each one of the um, pe- uh, everybody in the family, each member of the family, one of these that they were able to plug in and then they could adjust. their. Sh- didn't give her one because she didn't need one, she didn't but, need uh, one. but it was, it, it was a fun little project and everything, but, um, you know, and we joked around a lot in it, but mainly it was, uh, to, it was, it was called something like, uh, the battle of the thermostat or something right. that we were doing there, you know, but, uh, but it, it can be done. You just got to find that right air conditioning, um, contractor that really has dealt with this. They'll have the right recommendations to to make um, all of that work. Let's, uh, Let's go back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline for one of the recording calls that came in this week. But I had a water leak from upstairs and it came down to the other
1: floor into the kitchen. The ceiling's not damaged, but it ran, the water ran in six different spots all down the wall. And I need to ask if I should just rip it all down or can I Or should I drill holes in it to get air in there to dry it out? Because the ceiling doesn't look damaged. You can't even tell water came down. But I know it's all wet up inside there.
0: Okay. Well, um, I'll tell you at this point, I wouldn't do anything. At the most, I would uh, position a fan. I'm a big believer in the um, drying abilities of a traditional fan. And even though you just might be blowing it on a ceiling, it will find its way in and around crown molding, in and around... Uh, vents, anything like that. Plus, the heating and cooling in your home uh, should have quite a drying effect on it. So, I wouldn't do anything. If you're not seeing any damage, don't cause any damage by uh, drilling any holes. I would just leave it alone watch it carefully and just let that fan run. You could let that fan run an entire week and it probably wouldn't cost you three bucks. So um, I, I would do that. Just keep uh, that air circulating on the immediate area in order to dry it out. Because Joe, I just think that so many times um, I, I've seen these companies, these disaster removal companies, and, right. You know, there will be a situation where there's water has gotten in somewhere, and they come in and automatically just cut the bottom four foot of drywall out right. everywhere. Now, I recognize that mold and mildew is a serious thing, and you don't want to create an environment where it'll grow inside your walls or so forth, um, like that caller was talking about, but um, sometimes they get a little little extreme. Um, I've seen them taking baseboards off of um, vanities and things like that to blow air up in there and if it's severe yes you have to do it sometimes they get a little overboard in this case i certainly wouldn't recommend um him just uh, getting a row bar and start snatching drywall off
1: right and especially since we're assuming this is an interior wall so there won't be any insulation in there normally there is not Mm -hmm. you know if it was an exterior wall and he says i know there's water back there well then that's a different story because the insulation is going to hold that water and, you know, you can almost be guaranteed there's going to be water damage and possibly mold, you know, so I would do the same thing. I would just leave it, put a fan on it. Now I would keep an eye on this. If suddenly you see little black spots appearing on the exactly. wall, then that's mm-hmm. a sign that there mold. And then you're going to start cutting out drywall and letting it dry. And first of all, making sure that the leak is fixed, you know, um, cause sometimes even a little bit of a leak will continue to, to that's add right. moisture yeah. and create a perfect environment for mold.
0: Yeah, that's, that's number one. Make sure that leak is taken care of. But you, you hear about this kind of situation a lot, these one incident type of situations. And if the water, if the drywall is not submerged in water, water like you would have in a flood environment, then most of the time it'll dry right out um, because you have, you know, all of the air conditioning, and heating, your, your, your uh, relative humidity should be lower than 50 percent in your home, and all of those factors will help dry everything out, and that's what you want. You want to go ahead and get it dried out where it won't cause any problem Whatsoever. Hey, one decision that a lot of homeowners have had to make over the last few years is whether to go with the tankless water heater or replace their existing water heater. And we're going to give you some straight scoop on this and some opinions on it. You still may want the tankless water heater, but you have other things that you need to consider. We're going to share with you that and a whole lot more when we come back here on today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back.
1: today's homeowner radio here are danny and joe
0: are you currently receiving the today's homeowner newsletter we'd love to send it to you each and every week free of charge all you have to do is go to today's homeowner.com slash newsletter and sign up today i guarantee you you will be glad you did we get some great reminders that we send to you and some good straightforward information just like you're used to hearing here on today's homeowner radio again today's homeowner.com slash newsletter All right, right now we're going to uh, uh, have a call that came in. I thought this was a a really good subject for us to cover a little bit because of uh, a lot of misconceptions. Frederick from Florida wrote in, could you share with me the pros and cons of a tankless water heater? I'm thinking about replacing my standard water heater with an electric tankless one. Is it a good idea? Well, let's be fair and uh, tell you all about, first of all, tankless water heaters are something that's been around a long, long time. They're not new by any means. They certainly have improved them, made them more energy efficient. And I would say, you know, just as a general rule, some of the misconceptions are it will provide you endless amount of hot water. It will not supply you with instant hot water unless you buy the type that has a recirculating motor in it. The recirculating pump allows you to have Basically, instant hot water at all of your different faucets, but a traditional one basically is just endless, not instant. So that's usually one of the big things that people you know mistake a lot of times. And uh, also, you know, tankless water heater without a doubt is considerably more expensive. Statistics show they do save you more money than a tanked water heater. But is it still worth it, Joe? I know that you've dove into this a number of times in various articles that you've written. Uh, what do you? What do you tell someone that asks this question, just like Frederick does? Is it worth it? Should I do it? What do you tell them?
1: Well, I mean, depending on the household, of course, the big advantage, as you mentioned, is continuous hot water. It's an unlimited supply of hot water, and it's much more energy efficient. And uh, the last statistic I saw um, according to the Department of Energy, the average household, which uses about 40 gallons of hot water per day, can save 30%, excuse me, 34% of energy consumption over a standard tanked water heater. So that's that's one, you know, big selling point. Um, so they're much more energy efficient. And if you upgrade to a condensing tankless water heater... You know the energy efficiency goes from about 80%, which is pretty good for a standard tankless unit, up to 90 to 98%, depending on the unit. So it costs more, of course, but uh, the uh, you know a condensing tankless water heater will save you even more money. But okay, so what are some of the other advantages? First, they're very small, compact. You know, some of them can be hung on a wall. So if you're in a crawl space or a basement and you're looking, or or in a in a utility room, you're looking to save space. um, There's no tank. To take up space or to maintain, um, very low operating costs. And there's no standby heat loss, which is very important. A standby heat loss is simply you have a tank in a standard situation, you have a tanked water heater. So you have this big tank full of hot water waiting for you to use it. Well, what happens when you're not using it? That water is getting cooler and cooler as time goes on, and it, then it kicks back on to warm it up to temperature. So that's heat loss that you're paying for. With a tankless unit, that doesn't happen. It's off until you. Call for hot water and it kicks on. So it's often till you call till you need hot water. It's also tankless heaters also last about 20 years or more, which is twice the long of a standard heater. Um and for really big houses, you can install multiple tankless units um, if you need to to supply water. So there's a lot of reasons to like them. What's the downside? Well, there's no real downside per se, but they're more expensive to install and sometimes to maintain. But the whole idea is you're getting that money back through lower energy bills.
0: And, you know, I'd have to, um, you know, do a little math here to share with you, you know, another thought behind it. You know, um, yes, they are more expensive. Um, And, you know, your water usage, your hot water usage represents an average of 13% of your total power bill. Now, 13% and um, the typical power bill in the United States averages $2,000 per year. Okay. So that means doing a little math here, then you're spending, if you're in that average bracket, $260 a year for hot water. Okay. If you're saving 30% of that money, you're not saving 30% of your power bill. That can be another misunderstanding. You're saving 30% of what it costs you to heat and cool, or, or rather to heat that water. So if you're looking at, um, at that amount and, and, you know, you, again, you're doing the math, you're talking about approximately $80 a year that you save over a conventional tanked water heater. So you have to think about that. Yes, they do last a lot longer, uh, but it does take you a while to get your initial investment back. So that's where it's a little fuzzy on the math and a little fuzzy on the decision. Um, You might look, as Joe mentioned, other, uh, I've seen many people that have that, they actually have a two foot by two foot closet inside their house with a water heater in it. Well, if that is rerouted to an outside tankless unit, hey, that's valuable space, and that goes well beyond um, saving a few dollars with the advantage of being able to have another two-foot-by-two-foot closet in your house for, you know, storage of many, many things that you can do there. So a lot of that has to be considered when you're deciding on whether or not to go that route. So it's uh, one of those things.
1: Yeah, well, some people, you know, they just like the idea of saving... Energy, that's know, right. Regardless uh-huh. of how they do it, yeah, and that you had mentioned outdoors, the the tankless units can be installed outdoors, which greatly simplifies the venting of any combustion gases because it's outside to begin with. Now, obviously, you know you have to live in a place that will lie to store to install this outdoors, but that, that's another advantage of the tankless heaters. And regardless, if you're um, going to be replacing your your appliance that's making hot water, I would certainly when the heating contractor comes in talk about all these different options and see what sounds good to you. And um, it might be worth it in the end just to have that hot water, continuous, unlimited supply of hot water, especially if you have a bunch of teenagers in the house.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt about it. And, and and I have a tankless water heater in my new house and I do have the recirculating pump and I have to say it's awesome. I mean, it just, yeah. and my power bills, you know, of course, I have an extremely energy efficient home and uh, my power bill is, is, is lower than the national average, you know, because there of all of the Good. stuff that I've put in there. It is really, really inexpensive. um, And I, I love the fact that it's almost instant water heater. So I'm pretty satisfied with mine. Um, of course, you know, it's all brand new and so forth. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about a lot of other subjects, including some some soffit areas around a home that are having a little bit of problem. Also, uh, we have some snow issues that we're trying to anticipate. we got a front porch that needs a little bit of work and a whole lot more things that we're going to tackle before the end of this show. You're listening to today's Home on a Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe.
0: Hey, Joe, we certainly have gotten a lot of emails this week. We love to get them. More and more people are sending them. People are starting to think about all those projects that they want to tackle during 2023. Perfect. We're ready to help you out with it. If you have an email that you'd like to send us, it's as easy as going to todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Here's one that just came in from Thomas in San Jose, California. The soffits along the north side of my home are bowing downward and the paint is blistering off. There are also some sections that are rotting and delaminating. I'd like to replace it all, but I'm not really sure what to use. The existing ones are made out of a hardboard siding. What do you suggest? Uh, I know exactly what they're talking about. That was a trend for a little while is, of course, they must be talking about an overhang that's only 12 inches, which is not unusual. Many areas of the country have smaller soffits. Some have wider soffits I actually on my house I have three foot soffits because wow. uh, I found in my previous house how much better that is for energy efficiency and mm-hmm. just to kind of get the water away from your house but for Thomas here if you have hardboard siding like that it's going to delaminate and once it starts it's going downhill pretty quick I would replace all of that either with wood just like a 1 by 12 or use a 3 eight inch plywood. If it's smooth, use an AC fur plywood. If it has a rough texture, use a rough sawn cedar and just cut it in length strips, the eight-foot strips, and then remove what you have. Nail that up. Make sure you don't compromise on any of your soffit vents. Matter of fact, if you don't have sufficient soffit vents, add a few more to make sure you have proper attic insulation. That can uh, really help you a lot on that. And then prior to putting that wood up, Joe and I always recommend priming both the front and the back side of it before you install it, that just kind of locks it in and makes it last a lot longer, but that idea of putting that hardboard underneath there without the proper support behind it never works. It's always going to ripple and warp a little bit.
1: And if you don't want to use wood, the other options are aluminum or vinyl. And if you're gonna choose one of those, I would choose the aluminum cause it's more, a little more rigid and it's not going to sag or anything like that. But Danny, there is a, I know you put um, some James Hardy product on your on your yeah. new home uh-huh. siding. Uh-huh. Yeah. And for, most people know them as making the fiber cement siding, but they make a great soffit product that I don't, I've only installed once, um, but it was amazing. And it's made out of the same fiber cement. And it's called, uh, I think they just call it Hardy soffit panels. And, mm-hmm. and the product name is cedar mill um, but in any case it has a raised finish so it kind of mimics wood so it looks like wood but it's highly resistant to warping and rotting and it holds paint really well and but the interesting part is they come in vented and non-vented panels so you can mm-hmm. get them with they already have the holes in them for the venting as you put them up and They come in various widths, anywhere from like 12 to 24 inches, but they come like 12 foot long. So you can cover a lot of ground really quick. Oh, yeah. Uh Um, So again, if if this was my house and I was redoing the soffits and this is a job you do not want to do more than once, I might upgrade to the... James Hardy cedar mill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fiber cement. I'm, I'm very, very satisfied with it. Yeah. Boy, it'll oh, good. hold paint for a long, long time. Yes. Here's another email coming in from Maine. Paul wants to know, Our house has an unfinished bonus room above the garage. There's an attic space adjacent to the bonus room. The ridge vents in both spaces let in snow several times a year, especially when there's a blizzard and strong winds. Often there's just so much snow that I have to shovel it out. How do I oh, eliminate... No. How do I um, eliminate this problem? Boy, that's bad because uh, (laughs) the ridge vents need to have some type of, should have some type of membrane or right. something there that would prevent rain from blowing in. I, I would tend to think something's missing there. Either the, the, it's a very old ridge vent that doesn't have that type of screening or right. porous membrane to allow air to escape. There must be something missing here. I'm not sure what he could do on this, but, boy, that's a pretty serious issue.
1: Yeah, if you're shoveling snow out of your attic, that's a serious issue, um, especially once it starts to melt. You can imagine what's going down in the ceiling below. Well, first thing you don't want to do is cover up those vents because you're going to block the flow of air. But there is a type of ridge vent specifically designed for this, and it's called a filter vent. And as Danny mm-hmm. alluded to, it has plenty of air, you know, openings for air to escape, but it has a special uh, filter material that's in the air baffle itself. I'm not even sure what it is, but it's porous and it allows the air to escape, but it blocks snow from blowing in. But at this point, what does Paul do? I mean, you're not going to, you know, the only option I know of is replace the vent. You know, wait till the weather clears and get a roofer up there and and replace the vent with the proper filter vent.
0: I almost wonder, even though this would be pretty labor intensive, you know, you have those, uh, the vents, I think they're called Cobra venting. It's kind of a mesh type material that you put down and then you actually install ridge caps, shingles over it. I almost wonder if you didn't get a little bit of that material and were able to cut it and force it into those areas where the snow's blowing in. Again, not a very glamorous home improvement project, but one that may just block that snow and solve the problem with what he has without um, restricting the properties of the, the proper venting on that. But Um, unique situation there in Maine. Paul, hopefully we've helped you out on that. And as as Joe said, if you're shoveling snow out of your attic, something (laughs) just is not right. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and
0: Joe. What's always unbelievable, just how fast the show goes each and every week, that's because We're having fun, and we hope that we're able to provide you um, a little bit of entertainment, but also some good, solid information that can help you around your house. There's so much information bouncing around about what to do and not to do at your home. Well, Joe and I have a lot of experience, and we're going to share with you every week exactly the things that have worked well for us over all of the years. And many of those come out in our Simple Solutions. Joe, what do you have for us this week?
1: Well, Danny, that was a perfect segue because this is a simple solution that I actually used recently after we were cooking in the microwave oven quite a bit over the holidays. And it's simply an easy, effortless way to clean the inside of your microwave oven. And here's what you do. You pour a 50-50 solution of water and white vinegar into a glass bowl. Set the bowl in the oven and turn the microwave on high for several minutes. Anything over five minutes, I think, would work. And then you let it run. And when, when the microwave turns off, very carefully remove the bowl, of course, because it's going to be hot then scrub the inside of the oven with a scouring sponge. What's happened is the the steam created by the water and the vinegar will loosen up even the most stubborn caked-on stains, and you want to do that immediately, by the way, of course, while, while it's still softened a little bit. And then I'll add a second simple solution, which I think I've shared in the past, to prevent this or at least reduce it dramatically is always cover the plate of food or bowl of food, always cover it when you're microwaving it, and the easiest way to do that is with um, coffee filters. If you take mm-hmm. a cup; they're super cheap. They cost less than a penny a piece. And put that over the bowl or dish when you're migrating. That'll stop any spatters. Because sometimes you know something gets overheated and it'll pop and it'll splatter up. And that's why. And if you haven't looked at the roof, I guess you'd call it the roof, the ceiling, the ceiling of your uh, microwave oven, you might be a little surprised because mm-hmm. often you know the sides get a little bit of. Staining, but if you look at the ceiling of it, I mean, it's it can be pretty scary. So scrub that down after using this simple solution.
0: Especially if you overheat a nice bowl of chili. Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, chili, chili will explode and go all over the place. So, uh, uh, and and I can I can hear the conversations right now. Hey, honey, Joe Truini cleans his microwave. Why don't you? You're always saying what Joe and Danny does. Why aren't you cleaning our microwave, honey? So, um.
1: And then duck and run out of the house when you say that.
0: (laughs) That happens. Hey, I want to remind you what you can see on today's Homeowner television show this week. It's a project that we did recently called Front... Porch update. If you've got some things that you need to do outside your house, particularly about making your curb appeal improve it just a little bit, well, you got to check this one out. We show exactly how to repaint a floor, which is very important because prior to that, a little bit of preparation had to be done, a little bit of, of wood repair had to be done, and we had several different issues we dealt with here. And we've got some great tricks that we'll show you how to do that. And also, if you're looking for a sidewalk anywhere around your house, the quick concrete walkmaker forms are unbelievable. You'll see step-by-step exactly how to create a very attractive sidewalk for your house. All of that can be seen on this week's episode of Today's Homeowner television show that's seen in over 92% of the country, and you can find out where you can see it in your neck of the woods by going to todayshomeowner.com. Also want to remind you that you can watch us on a variety of streaming platforms, such as um, Vizio Smart TV is on demand As well as we have our own linear channel there uh, Number 516 on Vizio And number 476 on LG Smart TV We're talking about over 500 episodes waiting on you Right now, free of charge And so dig into it this weekend And check out some of the shows we've done Over the past 25 years Also, we're on Xumo, Crackle, Tubi, Freevee, Pluto, and Roku. All of that's waiting on you right now. You know, we really do appreciate being able to be with you each and every week. We're looking forward to 2023 to provide you even more information, more inspiration, and more ideas to help you have the best looking house on the block. I'm Danny Lippard along with my co-host Joe Truini, our fantastic engineer producer Corey Wilson, and the whole Today's Homeowner family saying Happy New Year and we look forward to seeing you again next week.